I, I know, think he retired. I, th- I he was playing for the Mariners last. I knew that's where he started. So was yeah, it? Yeah, he was a good hitter, right? Wasn't that his thing? Definitely, okay. definitely. I think he should be a first balloter once he's uh, once he's up for you, it. You know, those guys are all pricks who pick the Hall of Famers. Yeah, probably racist they're, pricks too. <laughs> really stingy, and they're really hoity, and they just like I don't know. I feel like they always have a point to prove sometimes you gotta have the best baseball body around yeah it's just like i get well actually there's less baseball players than there are like football players right uh in in, or or in the mlb yeah maybe yeah like definitely good ones anyway um it seems like every team has what like three three stars and then the rest are just kind of fillers yes who have like some good years, some bad years. Yeah, that's all that they can afford usually is three <laughs> three guys to get on base and then six uh, guys to hopefully try and get on base. I wonder how much, like, if you get called up from the minor leagues, how much money do they give you just to do that? Play, like, one game? For your cup of coffee? Yeah, I don't know. I wonder, I assume it's at least 50 grand, right? I hope so. I, I hope so. I know you get a pension. You get a... MLB pension if you play at least 20 innings of baseball. I really? Think. Yeah, but it's not huge, obviously, but it's something. So okay. the MLB at least takes care of its people a little bit. I think the NFL is three and a half years, right? Jesus. You have and to that's play? longer than the average career, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it. I think it's three and a half years, and then you get lifetime health insurance, I think, or something like that. Wow. But, uh, you know, they had... I watched the Elway to Marino thing, and John Elway, when he was doing his little, like, I'm not playing for the Colts thing, Yeah, he he spent this summer playing baseball, 150000 That was in 83. Goddamn. Yeah, so he basically got paid that for a summer job. That's awesome, to go not, play some baseball, yeah. to go hack some baseball. <laughs> yeah, until you got the big contract when you finally got on a team you wanted. He's kind of a little bitch, to be honest with you, oh. John Elway. Well, he's a uh, he's a little baby. He's uh, he, Denver's hero, so you better not talk too much trash. Yeah, uh, look, he acted like a petulant child when he first came in the league. Kind of John Kelly too did the same thing. Mm. I, and I really like John Kelly, mm. and I, I I don't know why you guys. What was it about eighty three? And here's poor Dan Marino. Like, for the love of God, will somebody just take me? Mm-hmm. And you got mm-hmm. these two guys who are like being little shits about it. I'm not doing it. Yeah. I'm not doing it. Prima Donna. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Bubble What Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. 
Who knows what it'll be about this week? It's Hans Schmidt, part two. I know oh, that yeah. for certain. It is. And uh, research assistant Kelly is back in the game. I saw an email from that. Yeah, she is. Thank That's you exciting. so much. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always too scared to ask her to uh, mm-hmm. do stuff for me. Uh, she's very nice. She'll she'll assist you with whatever you need. No, she'll probably hit me. Yeah, probably. She'll come from Canada to beat the shit out of you. I can see it. <laughs> uh, real quick, before we get started, Cody, you're yes. the one that's here with me. Hello. Hello, Adam. Uh, before we get started, I want to tell everyone to go to the Patreon, get signed up on that, patreon.com slash podcast. That's the way to be. The $15 and up. I'm looking at the new prints from the new series of the mm. uh, Bumblebutt Pokemon cards. I'm looking mm. at it right now. Mm. It, it looks fucking awesome, and mm. it looks like I'm going to need all 12 plus possible bonus ones that will be coming out to all you hungry boys and girls out mm. there. They're in the talks. Adam's working on them. I'm working on them. Let's get yeah. a few bonuses in there so yeah. you guys can uh, have a fat little deck. <laughs> I just I thought it'd be cool to start a new line of merchandise that would uh, had a little bit of direction. That's right. Because our old cars, I was just kind of like, ah, okay, I'll just piece all this shit together and be like, okay, this looks this looks cool. It's an eclectic mix. <laughs> yeah. The first 12 are wonderful. I'm very excited. Mm. To, I love Jess, who is just on our Between oh, the Bubbles. Yeah. She uh, she has them all framed up. It looks real nice. Yeah, they're going to be pretty much gone forever. So mm-hmm. uh, those who are lucky enough to acquire them, hold on to them because you'll probably never see them again. Once in a I, lifetime. Yeah, I don't even think I have the file still to recreate them if I wanted to. Fantastic. So. <laughs> I love it. Just like Wu-Tang, I just destroyed it. That That's what I like. You <laughs> sold it to uh, that drug guy. What was his name? Oh, God. The AIDS guy? God, what was that asshole? I name? don't know. I, I think he's in jail. Yeah. Well, he was? Yeah, I, I can't remember. I can't remember. Either way, also, before we get started, go to the uh, Apple Podcast, the purple logo, and leave us a review. That would be excellent Hell if you yeah. would do that. Cody, it's time for you to tell me exactly where we left off in Han Schmidt Part 1. Okay, so we'll just jump in here. Now, I'm going to prefix this as... Uh, this is a bit, I want everybody to keep in mind the difference between part one and part two. Part one, a lot of his backstory we received from his family members, okay? So that's how we got that nice, nice layer. A nice ex- juicy. <laughs> that explains his childhood really well and all of that. Now, part two is going to be a lot of things that came out of only Hans Schmidt's mouth. Mm. So... I try to piece it together as best I can. I think it'll all make sense once we get there, and uh, be prepared to have your mouth drop a little bit here. So that's (laughs) all I can say. That's all I can say. (laughs) Picking up where we left off, Father Hans had just been transported to New York City, but pretty quickly, Hans would be transferred to St. John's Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, whether or not it was because he immediately annoyed people right away in New York City, <laughs> in a New York City parish, or if Kentucky was just his first assignment, I'm not certain. But we know he went to Kentucky. I can't believe that's where they sent him. Uh, what do you think? 19, I think this is like 1908 or something, uh, Louisville, Kentucky looked like. Uh, lots of eyes <laughs> pointing in different directions. Okay. And lots of people, where's the water? <laughs> Go wild cans. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but we are going to start off this episode with talking about a murder in Kentucky that Father Hans would become a suspect in. Now, really the only reason he became a suspect 
was because of the murder he will commit years later. But when you hear the stark differences in M.O. of the murders, I personally don't feel like Hans was the culprit. So did he, he was retroactively blamed for this murder after his other one came out? Correct. So it's basically like, okay, you confessed to first murder. You probably did this one, even though even up until the day he's killed, he does. He says, I had no involvement in it. So they're they're trying their hardest. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they convicted somebody else. So, but anyway, we'll start off. On December 8th, 1909, when eight-year-old Alma Keller was heading to St. John's Church for the Feast of the Assumption of the Virgin Mary. Jesus. I'll explain what that is in a second here. Now, this wasn't unusual because little Alma Keller attended the school that was attached to St. John's Church and was planning on meeting some of her classmates for this particular Mass. Now... The Christian feast day of the Assumption of Mary celebrates the belief that God assumed the Virgin Mary into heaven following her death. Oh. Interestingly, it lists the date for celebration as August 15th, and this happened on December 8th. So I don't know if they've changed the date as time has progressed or what. I don't know. Wow. It kind of slid about four months and a couple days there, didn't it? Yeah, I I don't know. Weird, weird. And you'd think that... Maybe they forgot and they were like, (laughs) shit, we didn't do the Assumption Feast. Don't you think God should have been like, Virgin Mary, just come right up because you gave birth to my only son? I assume that's what it is, right? Yeah, why is it like he had to contemplate it a little bit? I, I don't know. Oh, is that? Oh, no, I don't think that's what happened. I think as soon as she died, he was like, yep, like right, you get, get to skip here. the St. Peter part, or you got to talk to the gate guardian. Do you, you can just come right on in. Do you think they kept dating, or do you, was he seeing other people at the time? God? Yeah. I think he was uh, I think he was playing the okay. field. Okay, yeah. all right. All right. I guess he didn't talk to her. I don't know. How old was she when she died? I don't know. How Jesus old was she? was 33. Okay. I don't know how old she was. How old was she when she got pregnant? Uh, anywhere between 14 to 25. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe she was old. Maybe she, following the prophet thing, she probably was like 205 when she died. True. So true. I, I don't yeah, know. Because prophets are just talk- like Noah is apparently <laughs> like 200. 600. 600. He's 600 years old. Lot from that Sodom and Lot, mm. Sodom and Gomorrah story, he gets old as fuck too. <laughs> they, they are really old and they like slowly like whittle down to not being as old. Yeah. But they're still old. Once they realize the timeline can't possibly like Fit match up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's how it goes. Now when Alma didn't return home that day, naturally her parents grew very concerned. They first went to the church itself to search, then contacted the police. In a group effort between the Catholic priest and the police, they searched everywhere looking for Alma, but couldn't seem to locate her. It wasn't until December 17th, 1909, when they thought they had a breakthrough in the case. Nine days later. Yes. They received a tip that a girl resembling Alma was at a gypsy camp in Washington, Indiana. Gypsies, tramps, <laughs> and thieves. We hear it from the people of the town. They call us gypsies, okay. tramps, and thieves. <laughs> but every night. 
the men would come around is and lay like their money Mac? down. Is that Fleetwood Mac? Are you dumb? I don't know. It's Cher. Oh, it's Cher. Yes. Okay, now I know Gypsy's offensive now. What yeah. Do you, what are you supposed to say now? Traveling people. Traveling Travelers. people. Travelers. Okay. Yeah. Here's the thing. New York to <laughs> Indiana. That's quite a gap there hell yes right? it is holy shit hell yeah hell and i yes. think there's a little race and be like oh the gypsies must have stole her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> goddamn gypos <laughs> but when the police went to investigate the girl in question looked almost exactly like alma but when alma's mother looked at the girl when she was in custody she informed them that this was, in fact, not her daughter. Mm. That reminds me of Wineville, where they actually made her take the boy and be like, this is right, your son. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. What year did that happen? That was like the 60s, right? Uh, No. Was it early? 30s? 30s. Yeah. Okay. Well, apparently they're more progressive <laughs> 20 years from now. It wasn't until May 26th. 1910, six months later, that they finally had a break in the case. Father Schumann at St. John's Parish had hired someone to fix a busted water pipe that was leaking water into the basement. After the plumber completed the repairs, there was the task of removing the four foot of water from the basement. Yuck. Yeah, our home in Iowa used to flood when it was raining really bad. It's disgusting. Oh, it's so gross. Eventually, when it got down to about a foot of water, a worker ascended down into the basement and started to smell a very foul odor, which eventually led to the discovery of the body of Alma Keller. Her body had been wrapped up in a rug and stuffed into the southwest corner of the cellar. Because it had been sitting down there so long and added to the fact of all the water... Oh, God. The remains were pretty much nothing but a skeleton. Okay, that's better than I was. You remember the zo- you remember the zombie that was in the well in season two of Walking oh, Dead? Oh yeah, that's yeah. kind of what I thought this was gonna be. I thought you were gonna mention Tub Girl. Oh my god! <laughs> Don't ever look that up, please. Oh my god! Oof. But they could tell just from looking at her that she had severe head trauma. Mm. It soon became clear that whoever had done this had also made an attempt to cut the body apart and even attempt to burn some of it in the furnace. Now, the reason they could tell this was because on the torso or whatever, they could see the starts of cuts, but they couldn't get through it. So Now, you're probably wondering, how did they do such a thorough search of the church and not locate the body? Well, according to Father Schumann, he wasn't even aware this space beneath the church existed wow. until the pipe burst wow. because it could only be accessed via a tiny trap door, which means whoever did this had to have extensive knowledge of every nook and cranny within the church itself, Sure, which led them to their prime suspect. The school janitor, Joseph Wendling. Fucking janitors (laughs) are always going to kill and stuff your children in rugs. Now, you remember from Albert Fish, it seems like child abduction and molestation were just everywhere around yeah, this just time happened. period yeah. so i mean i guess you'd expect a janitor to janitors do that. house painters yard men mm-hmm. they are taking and killing your children you couldn't trust anybody no it's a, it, you really can't outside of your family back then you <laughs> should not have trusted anyone 
Now, not only was Joseph a bit of a flaky guy himself, but when they searched his apartment, they found bloody clothing. Now, his explanation for this was that when he got sent, when he was at, across seas at a war or something, he, he <laughs> shot a war or something. He shot himself in the hand, uh-huh. and that was blood that was all over this. Uh-huh. What the fuck? They also found a ring and a decorative pin that they believed belonged to Alma, but they could never confirm that. But it was a little girl's <laughs> ring and pin. Yeah, okay. why? They're like, why do you have this? Yeah. I found it at my job. <laughs> The only problem was that Joseph's wife informed them that he had took off out of town in search of jobs, leaving her behind in Kentucky. Hmm. The cops would basically have to go all around the country following the trail of uh, Wendling. Finally, they were able to track him down in San Francisco. He was at- Damn, that is a long way away from Louisville. He went to like Kansas, Texas- all the Southwest, and then they finally were like, okay, he's in San Francisco now. So he made like a U. He was like yeah. Kentucky down through Texas all the way up to <laughs> yeah. San Fran. Now, he was adamant that he did not kill any girl, and the only thing he was concerned about was leaving his good-paying job in San Francisco. Sure. But he eventually did agree to return to Kentucky with the police. Eventually, Wendling would be found guilty of murder in the first degree, although the author heavily speculates that Father Hans could have been the real culprit. You don't believe so, though, right? I don't, but once we go into extreme detail about his murder, maybe you'll find a connection there. All right. Now, being that this episode is about Father Hans Schmidt, we haven't really talked about him yet. Well, We're about 18 minutes in. <laughs> I don't think we mentioned him. We'll get into him. Don't you worry. <laughs> Well, where was he the entire time the murder had transpired and after the discovery of Alma's body? As mentioned, Hans was serving as a priest at St. John's. He was questioned by the police. He assisted in the search for Alma initially. He seemed distraught when they found Alma's body and because Father Schumann had never noticed anything aberrant in Hans' behavior, he was pretty much cleared as a suspect until... Like I mentioned, yeah. years later. Right. So it's kind of like uh, the Father Schumann in the book said like he was crying about it and stuff. So I, I don't really know. Mm. He seemed distraught. And as we'll see, kids aren't really his target. I think it's <clears throat> simply, mm. oh, my God, we were living with a monster and we mm. had no idea. Mm-hmm. And we this weird thing happened. So it had to have been the monster, too. I It just seems like. If nobody knows this trap door's there, and you're the fucking janitor, you probably know that door's there. Yes, you, you know have you have done maintenance in the building. You know where the pipes are. You know all that shit. You think the priests would have known it's there, but apparently they just do mass. Priests leave. are rock stars, know. man. Yeah. yeah, they don't have to fucking do. <laughs> they're not down there in their little robes, changing pipes around, cleaning out stuck drain traps. If, from what I understood, there's like if you think of the floor level of the church, and there's a gap. That's where all the pipes are, and then the, there's a little door that goes just underneath of that. Do you know what that also proves in in early, or do you know what that also helps with what? in early architecture? That pipe floor is where you get all your heat from. So all the heat keeps from it warm yep, too. keeps it floats okay. upwards. That's why all the piping used to be directly underfoot. Gotcha. Okay. Now, ar- ironically, around the exact same time Joseph Wendling was being found guilty in court. Father Hans was actually boarding a train headed for New York City 
where we know for certain he actually killed someone. <laughs> but oddly enough, Father Hans will behave himself at least for the next few years. And in Kentucky, it seems like he didn't cause any trouble at all, which is re- which is weird. So we got about, I don't know, maybe five years of him behaving himself which Not seems in screaming matches right. with his superiors and right stuff. so it's kind of like i don't know the, <laughs> but we'll kind of see what his uh trigger is here good so we'll jump from 1910 to september 2nd 1913 when 17 year old lucy grace is about to have perhaps the worst fishing trip of her life uh-oh now lucy loved fishing and this particular morning she loaded up her fishing poles a few crab traps, and headed out onto the waters off the Brooklyn shore on her father's rowboat to do a little fishing. Sounds great. Sounds like a great morning. (laughs) I mean, mean, I've never been crab trapping. I wonder what it's like. You just throw them out there and let them sit? I think so. Yeah. Come by and see if there's any little crabbies in there. We don't have crabs around here, so we've never done. We have crawdads, I guess, if you you want them. They're delicious. (laughs) I like crawdads. About two hours into her fishing adventure, she felt a little thud on the side of her boat. She figured it must just be a piece of driftwood, but figured why not take a closer look. She soon discovered that what had actually hit her boat was a severed human head laying face up in the water. Ooh, that's that's going to scare you a little more than a piece of driftwood. Uh, she probably pooped her pants, I, I would, would assume. right now, as a 23-year-old, I would. <laughs> I mean, what am I? I'm 30. I mean, the face is looking right at you. Oof. Three days later, on September 5th, 1913, 11-year-old Mary Bond and her 9-year-old brother, Albert, were playing off the shores of the Hudson River when the kids discovered an oddly shaped package floating in the water. Kids, naturally being curious, wanted to see what this mysterious item was. As they pulled it onto the shore, they realized it was actually kind of (laughs) heavy. As they were pulling it closer onto the shore, something fell out of the bag. Soon the kids found themselves staring at a headless, limbless upper part of a torso. So are we talking like rib cage upwards? Uh, Yep, yep. Yikesy dikesy. Now, the interesting thing is the book, this isn't real important, but the book says they're 11 and 9. Kelly's notes from a Times, uh, a New York Times article says they're 18 and like, whatever, 16, 15. So I don't know why, who, I was kind of telling her, I'm like, early 1900s journalism, you never really know what you're going to get, in America anyway, so I don't know who to trust. And if you age it down, it probably seems scarier and more heroic for these kids or yeah, whatever. Yeah, th- that's a good point. <laughs> Around the exact same time, about two miles away from where the kids found the upper part of the torso, dock workers would stumble upon the lower half of the torso minus the legs. Five days later, on September 10th, 1913, 62-year-old Norman Carhart was just enjoying a nice walk along the shore in Kingsburg, New Jersey. Norman soon found something particular stranded on the rocks, which wasn't weird because of how the tide drags junk in. Upon closer look, he soon discovered a human leg cut off just below the hip. Now that was weird, even for New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I found body parts everywhere, but usually, <laughs> you know, there's not just a leg. Usually just like two legs. Right. Maybe a upper half of a body, but just one leg. That's fucking weird for New Jersey. It's not right. <laughs> Something's up. <laughs> then two arms and the other leg will eventually be located as well, but not for a little bit yet. But the bigger question is... Who the hell is this person, and who the hell muted, mutilated them like this? And also, who is the detective who's going to lead the charge in solving this case? I would like to know. Well, that detective's name is Joseph Ferrat of the NYPD. Hell yeah. What makes Ferrat kind of the best detective for the case is that Ferrat, unlike most detectives in the time period, had smartly started to adapt Practices that had already been in use by the Scotland Yard for many years. As we know, America tends to lag behind in that department sometimes. So he's keeping, he's on the bleeding edge of mm-hmm. police technology. He's like, the Scotland Yards clearly knows how detective work, detective work works. Yeah. I'll follow their shit, which helps him solve the case. I'll take their standards and practices whereas my nypd counterparts are likely stuck in their own ways and angry about (laughs) any sort of change whatsoever surprisingly there's only minimal cop fuckery in this so that's kind of yeah minimal uh it's a little shocking for fucking 1913 no shit now how is farak going to tackle this case when he currently has a head two sections of a torso and one leg to go off of Interestingly, some of the pieces of the body were wrapped in bedding and pillowcases. Now, the bedding itself was nothing special and was very common for the time period, but the pillowcases had a unique custom flower pattern on them, which was much, much rarer for the time period. Awesome. Additionally, it still had the price tag attached. That's a bad move. (laughs) Yes. The price tag read Saks Furniture Store. The news would later write this. Only two of the 12 pillows he had used in his stock were missing. One of them he thought he had sold to a woman of whom he had gave a partial identification. The other he was unable to account for at all. Think about this. This particular pillow... He only made, I think this guy custom made them. He only made 12 of them. Whoa. And only two of them were sold. And he's like a Japanese swordsmith. He's like, I remember every pillow Uh, I've ever sold. Apparently it's the pillow and on the edges has the flowers. That's why it's so unique. So what are the fucking odds? The store owner eventually was able to find the receipt for the sale of the pillows. They then discovered on August 26th, 1912... They had sold a bed spring, a mattress, and the pillows to a person from Manhattan for $21.68. That's a hell of a good price. How much is that shit now? I just ordered a mattress <laughs> uh, for Black Friday. They had uh-huh. good financing deals, and I think it was still like $800. Yeah. If you were to get a traditional mattress and bed spring, sometimes they throw in the pillows for free. Two grand at Ugh. least. So, yeah. It's called inflation, baby. Yeah, baby. Not only that, they had the items delivered to the person's apartment at 68 Broadhurst Avenue. Now, having an address, the detectives would scope out the apartment for three days, just waiting for someone to enter so they could obviously approach and question them. But no one ever showed up. So on the third night, two of the detectives climbed climbed the fire escape and peered into the window. 
but it was very clear that nobody was here or had been there for quite some time. So one of the detectives used his knife to pry open the window and head inside, and soon they discovered something of interest. It's now, pretty they, illegal. I was going to say, this is the first cop fuckery. Yeah. And I think the only way they were able to get around this was because of the confession. Oh. So. Even then, uh, do you think that would hold up nowadays? Uh, I don't know if cops can pry open your windows and just walk around. Yeah. I know they do it, but I don't know Here's if they the should. Here's the thing. Was there a law that the... That, well, I don't know why they didn't ask a landlord. Unlawful search and seizure, bro. It's in the Constitution, bro. <laughs> well, I get that, but I'm saying, couldn't they have asked a landlord to let him in? I'm not sure of the rules uh, of that. three days of no one showing up? Is that what it is? I don't, I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know. This is 1913. You're right. So I have no fucking You're right. idea. Yeah. Either way, on the kitchen shelf was a large knife that was stained in blood. A carp- carpenter saw that had blood stains all over the teeth. And there was blood all over the room. It was hmm. pretty. <laughs> it was pretty clear that someone had not only been murdered here, but also dissected. <laughs> but the most interesting piece of evidence they found was in a little metal box in the closet. He had a one-hitter <laughs> and a few grams of weed in there. I don't care if someone is killed here. He's smoking marijuana in here. We need this fucker. We need to get him on the death penalty now. Smoking that Mexican tobacco. <laughs> Inside the box were several handwritten letters, some were in German, some were in English. The peculiar thing they all had in common was they were addressed to Hans Schmidt, and a woman named Anna Mueller. Mm-hmm. Ironically, one of the detectives actually personally knew Anna Mueller. That's fortunate. Yeah, and they informed the other detectives that Anna was a housekeeper at the Church of St. Boniface, a church at which Father Hans Schmidt was a priest at. Oh, we got some schlupping yeah. going on here. Don't worry, the connections get much, much deeper here. Oh, boy. Now, Farrat headed over to St. Boniface to talk to these individuals. He first encountered a Father Braun who would tell Farrat this about Hans. Schmidt, I might call an average priest. (laughs) Although he performed his duties here acceptably, there was always something about him that seemed mysterious to me. Usually his face bore an expression of mock piety, but at other times he would glare like a lion. (laughs) I was mystified by these constant changes of expression. I tried to understand him, but I couldn't. The only way I could describe him was he was like Stevenson's Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> I'm surprised a priest read that book at this time, but wouldn't that be an evil, demonic book? I think so. Like, they can't even read Harry Potter now. What are they reading this shit for? No doubt. But They yeah. can only read Percy Jackson, which <laughs> I think is the knockoff, but I have no oh, idea. okay. You'd think they would be, like, throwing Greek gods out the window. They're not reading that. But... No doubt. But you can see... This guy's kind of like, okay, now he's starting to act a little funny like he did in the uh, the rectory, or not the right, seminary. Mm-hmm. Additionally, Father Braun informed Farrat that both Hans and Anna had transferred to St. Joseph's, another Catholic church in New York City. Now, this is interesting in um, Kelly's research. She claims that Father Braun actually fired Anna twice. Whoa. And then she got rehired for activities we'll talk about in a moment here. <laughs> Frott and another detective then rushed over to St. Joseph's to have a little chat with Father Hans Schmidt. 
Within an hour of chatting with him, Father Hans would break down in tears and immediately say, I killed her. I killed her because I loved her. After saying this, Hans would confess to every single detail. The murder, the dismemberment, and some very peculiar details that we'll go into in a little bit. (laughs) With this confession, Hans Schmidt was promptly arrested and would be held at one of the worst jails in the United States, the Tombs. Have you heard that? That sounds awful. No. Have you heard? Holy shit. I didn't have time to go into detail of it, but remember some of the Mary Cotton prisons? Yes. This sounded like as bad as that. And there was like, they were saying there'd be like flooding and then there'd be mold everywhere. And they just like left these people down there. And it's just a lot of Italians were left down there. It's like old school punishment. Like this is kings and queens punishment. It's like you do not want to go to the tombs. I think it still exists. Wow. But as a tourist attraction, right? Not as a prison. It might be still a jail, but it's not that bad. Obviously, they've stepped up the prisoner treatment slightly. Take them down to the tombs. (sighs) What a metal fucking jail name, though. It's awesome. Uh, One thing I have to say is he confessed pretty quickly. Yes. Within an hour. Uh What a bitch. What a little baby bitch. I think he felt a little guilty about it, perhaps. For cutting a woman up and putting her down. Now I see why the connection was made. Yeah. He couldn't do it with the kid, but he did Mm. it with this Adult woman, yeah. yeah. But we're going to learn about here. Now, we're probably all wondering, who exactly is this Anna Amelia and what's her connection to Father Schmidt? Well, Anna Amelia would have been about 20 years old when she was murdered. She was born in Odenburg, Hungary, where she was raised by her aunt because her father killed himself. Ah. Her aunt would place her into a Catholic school at a very young age. Ah. As a As a teenager, she was known to be very popular with the boys because of her bright blue eyes and her pouting lips. I gotta tell you, pouty lips. Very <laughs> yeah, it does cute. it for you. Very cute indeed. Is it funny when I heard bright blue eyes, I'm like, God damn Germans. Mm. Come on. God damn Aryans. It's not fair. I know. Anna was known to have a pleasant disposition and a fun-loving personality. She was known for being prolific at the piano as wow. well. Which is why when Anna graduated high school, her aunt wanted her to continue her musical career, so she sent her off for training in New York City. Amazing. That's a nice... It sounded like her aunt was kind of a bitch at first, and then it's like, well, she sent her to New York to be a musician, which is kind of cool, so I Unless don't Unless really she's know. doing it for the back-end money. Like, once you get big, she's you playing the set long, me up. She's playing the long game. Remember that cringe video of the guy who is yelling at the street performer saying he was a master at the New York School of Music? Yep. That was one of I the introduced greatest. Bob Dylan. I introduced Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> what are you? You're a no talent. You're a no talent. He's like, you're a no talent piece of shit. Yeah. That is such a great video. I watch that all the time. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. Now, after being in New York for a while, someone had hooked Anna up with the job at the Church of St. Boniface as a housekeeper where she would meet Father Hans Schmidt. Eventually, they would be able to identify the remains of Anna via another woman who worked at St. Boniface. According to that woman who identified her, Anna had some very unique birthmarks on her breast. The reason that she had ever even seen these birthmarks was because Anna apparently was constantly topless while at the church. Well, that... 
I don't know why she was doing that. I've seen puernos of that, <laughs> but I, I've never heard of someone being topless in a church. This la- I don't know if this lady was just, like, mad at Anna or something, but she said she was always, like, in her in the room's topless. Just I don't tits know. Tits out, thumbs up. I guess so. But she took care of all the priests. I don't know if she was doing it in front of them, but uh, hmm. maybe Anna just likes to party and have fun. I hmm. don't know. Yeah. Now, the relationship between Anna and Hans was an interesting one. Hans said, I wanted to love her from the very beginning. She took good care of me. <laughs> Now, Hans claimed that he fell in love with Anna after she took care of him once when he was sick. After that, somehow, someway, they eventually ended up having sex one night within Hans' sleeping quarters in the parish. Whoa. Hans said, At first she ran away, but she came back. (laughs) To overcome her objections, I told her no one would know. At first we had sexual intercourse in the daytime. Later, she came every night to uh, me. How does this even happen? Uh, I don't know. I man. don't know. It's it, a porno. <laughs> don't worry. It gets more wired and tangly here. What? Just like my favorite pornos. Uh, I guess maybe this is maybe this is based off every Catholic church porno. Now they just base it off this story, perhaps. It seems like hands. <laughs> loved having Anna as a mommy when he was sick. I was I was just thinking that, yeah. yeah. She's a good mother figure for him. Oh, boy. And he hates his mama. <laughs> but even a troubled man like Hans knew that this was against the rules of the Catholic Church. Yeah, it's like one of the first things <laughs> they tell you when you're a priest. Hans later said, One day I wanted to find out what God thought about me and Anna. I, at night, I brought her before the altar and I had intercourse with her on the altar itself. (laughs) I was very much excited. I was more worried about it than she. I kept looking at the host all the time. There was no change. Either God would speak or show a light or something, some sign he would have given to express his disapproval. Okay, guys, so if you want to test your partner's faith, you have to have sex with them on like the little altar. No, that's not. You're not testing their faith. <laughs> you're testing God's. You're testing if He's got well, a problem. God, God will in- smite them. Yes, if both. Yes, they're not religious enough. That's clearly what's going on. Yeah, I don't even want to envision a priest and this lady having sex on the altar. And he just keeps looking up at Jesus, <laughs> just hanging all bloody. It's the only way he can get off. Yeesh. Oh yeah, he is pretty ripped. Yeah. yeah. Now, after this, the relationship between Anna and Hans continued as if they were any normal couple. Mm. They would go to restaurants and see plays together, mm. all while Hans would wear the very obvious white collar that only priests wore. So they'd be like holding hands and playing yeah. footsie. Anna was like, take that off because they're going to know you're a fucking priest. And yeah. he just wouldn't do it. Yeah. He just would not do it. Sometimes at night, they would meet at the Brox Park and proceed to have sex on the ground in the park. Isn't Pretty that, common now, but with it, homeless people. <laughs> but not a priest and a housekeeper? Nope. <laughs> Maybe the homeless people are dressed as a priest and a housekeeper. How many people were jacking off in the park while they were doing that? Probably too many. It's not very romantic. He's had sex in a, I'm assuming, possibly dirty park. And now, and on an altar, they're just, they're very adventurous. Have you started watching Ratchet yet? Not yet. Okay, okay. They have sex in a park? No, like, at the very beginning, she's getting gas, and there's, like, this couple that are making out pretty hard, (laughs) Mm. and the gas station attendant's, like, jerking off through his pants. 
And Ooh. she's like, your tumescence is distracting me. <laughs> now, while this sounds just like a semi-normal sexual relationship between two adults, Han's obsession with blood never truly went away. He would later confess... Anna often complained of my fierceness. I used to bite her sometimes. I like to taste the blood. I would bite her aunt's arm. I would bite her aunt's breast. There would be teeth marks, and it always made me feel better. Why would she put up with that shit? <sighs> like, I I mean, that's fine if that's what you're into, but it seems like she doesn't like it, right? Actually, it's. I say it's not fine. When, it's, well, when it goes into poop or blood, it's no longer if, fine. If it's consensual, then No, it's you're fine. a deviant and you need help. Every time I hear... From here on out, every time I hear bites her breasts, all I can think about is fucking Ted Bundy. Oh, yeah. I can't think of anything else but him doing it. Oh, yeah. And his fucked up teeth that Mm. got him caught. (laughs) As their relationship blossomed, Hans would eventually decide to ask Anna to marry him. That's not okay. (laughs) You're a priest. And seemingly she would agree, although, according to him, not at first. She had to kind of be coaxed into it. Yes, because he's a priest. (laughs) Additionally, being that Hans was a priest, yes. he would be able to perform the wedding ceremony himself. Oh, my. The names on the marriage certificates would read Anna Mueller and Johann Schmidt, and they listed no priest as overseeing the ceremony. Do you want to put his name on there? So they got married. Yes. I, although they probably didn't have to provide ID if he put Johann Schmidt on yeah. there. Johann. Johann. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wish Jordan was here to yell at me for Mm -hmm. saying that. (laughs) His name's Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) But before we get fully into the murder confession, there is another very peculiar wrinkle to add to this story, and that involves a dentist named Dr. Ernest Murray. Here's what I think. Okay. Don't trust a dentist. No, as we're going to find out, you you don't trust a dentist. Now, after Hans was first arrested, they found out he was renting another apartment at 516 West 134th Street using the alias George Miller. Famous playwright George Miller. Is it? Yeah. Did he Oh, wait. No, he made... George Miller made uh, 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 all of the Mad Max movies. Never mind. <laughs> I thought I thought you maybe were thinking of uh, Steve Miller. Arthur, oh, the Steve Miller band. <laughs> there you go. Arthur Miller was the playwright, I believe. <laughs> they would later find out Hans would uh, use quite a few different aliases outside of George Miller, such as Doctor Emil. <laughs> I don't know. Doctor Emil Moliere. There you go. Formerly assistant surgeon, Municipal Women's Hospital, Paris, France, or Emile Moliere, representative of the chemical hygiene manufacturing company in Demorhe, France. That is great. If you just keep adding titles to your name, people can't question you. Both these were on business cards they found. Formerly assistant surgeon, Municipal Women's Hospital, Paris, France. That's so good. Here's the thing, though. We, We have no fucking idea what he was doing with these. We'll never find out what he was, why he had these. Why he just had identities yeah. out the ass. We know why he had George Miller, but we don't know why the other two, what he was doing. More women, maybe. Could or men, more... actually, probably, because well, he's gay. I think you're going to change your your, uh, your idea of what he might be doing in a second. Okay, memory. okay. Now, upon searching this apartment, they found something else interesting. The, doc- the detective found a $10 bill and said counterfeit this priest is a goddamn <laughs> counterfeiter too i'll be damned 
they would find hundreds of $10 bills in the garbage can. God damn. A copper $20 engraving plate with the serial number 12345678 9A. <laughs> A camera, presses, and a photo engraving equipment. With all of the equipment in the apartment, they quickly figured out this had to be at least a two-man operation. (laughs) And that is when they discovered a bunch of business cards for Dr. Ernest at 301 St. Nicholas Avenue. 301 Santa Claus Avenue. (laughs) That's where you find a good dentist to have. (laughs) Santa Claus. <sighs> Upon talking to Dr. Ernest, he initially denied having known Father Hans, but eventually claimed, oh, he was just a patient of his. Mm. Eventually, they got Dr. Ernest to confess that while he didn't actually have a license to practi- practice dentistry, oh boy. he allegedly did attend a school in Berlin. Sure for you did, Ernest. <laughs> sure you did. Just like all you dentists that are so-called trained or (laughs) educated. I don't believe you. He also then just said Father Hans just so happened to be one of his very first customers when he came to America. Ah. The detectives also noticed something peculiar that Dr. Ernest and Father Hans looked a lot alike and they thought they were brothers at first. Oh, so are you saying they could like pass for each other maybe? Yeah, which is going to make something kind of creepy in a minute here. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, oh, Please don't yeah. tell me they had a three-way with oh, Anna Amuar. No, no okay, not a good. three-way. <laughs> the detectives would eventually find burned pieces of paper in the garbage of the dentist's office <laughs> that resembled the counterfeited money. But the relationship between the dentist and Father Hans actually goes even deeper than just counterfeiting. They were also lovers. It goes skin deep. It goes butthole deep. <laughs> uh, Hans said they first met in December of 1912, and Hans thought, Dr. Ernest was a very attractive man. Hell yeah. Hans made his first- he looks like him? (laughs) Fucking narcissist. That's what I'm saying. He's banging a guy who looks exactly (laughs) like he does. He's banging his his doppelganger. Uh, Hans made his first advances toward Ernest by simply holding his hand, then over time started to move closer via hugging, and that evolved into Hans kissing him. That's a- I mean, holding a hand in 1912, that's pretty- that's For Germans, far. though? You're right. They're, like, yeah. basically making out with each other and being like, that's not gay. We are drunk. Men hold hands here. It's, yeah. it's fine. We skip, hold hands. <laughs> now, Ernest was a little slow to accept Hans' advancements at first, but it pretty quickly morphed from hand-holding into Dr. Ernest and Hans making love on a regular basis. Fuck yeah. As the lover's relationship progressed, Hans eventually got the dentist to buy into the counterfeiting scheme, thus leading us to where we are now. Now, where the entire relationship between Ernest and Hans gets extra complicated is that Hans is currently married to Anna. Yes. And she has no idea this is going on. But as soon as Hans found himself enamored with the dentist, he soon discovered that he was actually truly in love with Ernest and not in love with Anna. <sighs> so, obviously, again, kind of a red flag that I think he might have just been a gay man. Yes. I think uh, it's it. this is a hard lesson for Anna to learn right yeah, here. Yeah. It, it's kind of like he, the way he describes it is he loves Anna, but, like, not in a love, like he loves Ernest, I it's, guess. It's uh, just like, like Larry's, zone. it's Larry's, uh, the Dobrovolsky wife. 
who he was just living there with them and the children and also in right. love and fucking the husband and right. he didn't love her and she knew that. <laughs> I, I don't think Anna knew all she, of that. Anna doesn't know, because it's 1912. Do you think Anna has, like, a tear of perversion she's going to allow? Like, she might have, you know... She's obviously raunchy. Yeah. Because I mean, she, she fucked a priest. She might... Uh, maybe it's, like, the, the taboo fruit. Mm-hmm. And she wants it. <laughs> now, all right. Additionally, prior to Anna's death, Hans found out that Anna had became pregnant. Uh, and this is where the rubber meets the road. Why did Hans decide to murder Anna? Was it because he was actually in love with a man named, named, I guess, Dr. Ernest? Could it be when he found out that Anna was pregnant and figured it was going to ruin his priesthood? Or could it be for the fact that Hans was just a bloodthirsty psychopath? Fourth one. You think so? Very confused. Yeah. Oh, I'm adding a fourth one. Or is this a fifth one? I'm not sure. I don't know. That was about three... Is he, he wants to be with Ernest? Does he, is he scared now that Anna's pregnant? Or is he just crazy? I'm adding a fourth one. Okay. He's very confused and very scared. This could be. Well, let's hear Hans's confession because it tells a different tale altogether. Okay. Hans said, Well, there isn't much to say about this. God in his own time will clear it up. Perhaps people will never understand this thing. But God and Abraham know why I killed her. <laughs> Policemen tell me they questioned my right to say I am a priest. I held a double order to the priesthood, for I was ordained in Diocese of Mainz, and I was reordained by St. Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. I married her. I performed the ceremony myself, as I had a right to do. I was commanded to marry her by St. Elizabeth, my patron saint. (laughs) St. Elizabeth implored me to sacrifice her. I had a visitation. She compelled me to sacrifice Anna. It was in her name I did it. Like the sacrifice of Abraham, I have a clear mind. Father, for this was holy work, and it shall be done. <sighs> now, I guess you guys can all decide if this is uh, complete bullshit or no, not. No, that's holy work. He did the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just, He like, convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is kind of one of those things where it's like, what reason do we truly believe he did this? Uh, I don't really know. I don't know, but we'll, we'll get into that. So what exactly did Hans do on that fateful night he decided to murder Anna? Now, <sighs> everyone... Buckle up, okay? This is bad. Well, it is something so grotesque you could only imagine someone like Albert Fish would be able to perform such an act. Uh. The night in question, Hans first stopped by St. Joseph's and knelt down before the statue of Jesus Christ to pray. This is when he started to hear that internal voice from St. Elizabeth in his head telling him that it was time for him to make an atonement in blood. After he was finished praying, he headed to the apartment he shared with Anna. Anna was peacefully sleeping in the bed. Seeing her laying there, Hans bent down to give her a kiss on the forehead. He then pulled out a large knife and immediately cut her throat, almost severing her head in the process. Upon seeing the blood, it sent Hans into a frenzy and sexually aroused him. He first took some of the blood coming out of the wound and mixed it with water, held it to the sky, and said a prayer to God, and then proceeded to drink it. After this, he completed—he completely severed Anna's head, 
took it into the bathroom and continued to drink the blood water mixture and continued to pray. Mm -hmm. After this, he returned to the bedroom and had sexual intercourse with Anna's headless body. I kind of knew it was going that way. Yeah. After having sex with the body, Hans would use the handsaw to remove Anna's arms, legs, and cut her torso into two separate pieces. He then wrapped them in bedding and pillowcases with rocks, threw them into different parts of the river at nighttime. Hans additionally would burn the bloodied mattress in the alley. Ooh, so there it is. That is a fucking... I mean, could you imagine just a normal killer doing this shit? And why are you atoning in someone else's blood? I, you shouldn't be you should be atoning in no, your own blood. Hold on. The Mormons have this. They you're supposed to have a, a blood atonement. Some of them do this. Really? Yes. I mean, obviously 99% of them don't practice this. Yeah. But there's a few cases where pe- Mormons have killed people saying it's a blood atonement. Well, that doesn't even make sense. No, that's it, that's it, like it, narcissism to the utmost degree. Yeah, it's just man, this I feel like Hans went from like zero to fucking a hundred like so fast, Whew. right? It's just blood water. Yeah, fucking cor- headless it, corpses. It's just oof. It's bad. Now, as a surprise to no one, we have a pretty cut and dried confession with plenty of evidence that Father Hans Schmidt did in fact kill Anna. But there's the matter of the trial. Always the fucking trial. Yeah. Once his lawyer would hear about Hans's childhood, the history of mental illness, and add to the fact of how he murdered Anna, which was almost completely inconceivable given the time period, mm-hmm. the sanity defense was certainly going to play a huge part in the trial. Mm. Now, we spoke of Dr. Jalif briefly on part one, and Dr. Jalif will kind of be the one leading the way in figuring out all of Hans about Hans Schmidt from a psychological aspect. The alienist slash psychologist, I just like calling him (laughs) alienist because it's fucking awesome, of the time period would implement some outdated and barbaric kind of tests on Hans Schmidt. Sure. The first was a new science that was sweeping the world at the time, and that was using a person's head shape, facial features, and bumps on the head to determine someone's personality. Uh, that's what, phrenology? What is <laughs> yeah, that called? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make a good point that you can look, like, they're on the right path. They just have to look at the brain, not the head itself. Yeah, you know they what were I'm looking saying? at the top of the skull and be like, <laughs> yeah. you see these two bumps? That mm. means they're a savage, barbarian. Yeah. We're, we're going to learn about the uh, diagnosis here. Sure. A Dr. Simon, who is an expert in the field of study, said about Hans's jaw and cheekbone. They indicated brutality and instability <laughs> of the mind. The lack of symmetry is shown the length of the lower jaw. A jaw such as is seen only in persons who are given to brutality and crime. There are also many other abnormalities about this man's countenance. He has a contour not unlike that of an American Indian, although of German extraction. Uh, this is about Hans's forehead, mm-hmm. Dr. Simon said. Him at once as of unstable mind, <laughs> one who physically desires, would often outweigh his moral attitude. How can he tell that by fuck? So what does this man have to say about Peyton fucking Manning? Peyton about Manning? his giant five head? Yeah, he should be like a 
Jeffrey Dahmer level serial killer yes, with that forehead. Mixed with the <laughs> bravest American Indian warrior of all. <laughs> and finally, Dr. Simon finishes with his mouth. The, this mouth is one of the most significant features of an individual. <laughs> In the case of him, it is strikingly expressive of animality. While many persons may live an uneventful life having features similar to those of this individual, they nevertheless tend to a similar mental bias, and it is when reason becomes dethroned in such persons that the greatest cruelty is shown. The man is of Slavonic type, which would tend to make him predominantly emotional. His would be a mind that would suffer from contrition and remorse for an act committed, but this would not be in ratio to the harm done. I feel like he just says a bunch of fancy words and makes it sound really good. And what he means by that is <laughs> uh, he's a slav. Yeah. So uh, he gets real upset and real sad about stuff, but he'll hurt somebody much more than mm. the supposed crime that they've committed against him. Mm. So, yeah, obviously I would say... The science is pretty much complete bullshit, Yeah, but it's kind of funny anyway. It's great. I love hearing this shit because it's like we were just one little step up the monkey tree back then <laughs> trying to understand what brains were. Well, like, I mean, maybe this guy really believed it, but I honestly feel like he read what he had done and then he looked at his face and was like, oh, I just write all this shit. Mm. And he's like, well, obviously this is why I killed her because of his fucking mouth or his forehead or... Whatever, you know, you can just kind of make it up as you go along. You know, I forget, I do forget the name of the science, but it is the precursor to eugenics. It, really? And don't ever, don't you ever be mistaken. America was leading the way in eugenics when Hitler took over. <laughs> like, they were making all the breakthroughs in eugenics. But then we decided that wasn't a great idea, and Hitler said, it's pretty cool. <laughs> now, there's another interesting event that transpired while interviewing Father Hans Schmidt, and I think it's pretty fucking interesting. The day in question, Dr. Jalif, Dr. Karpus, and Dr. Gregory were questioning Hans about the murder of Anna. Now, Dr. Gregory, this particular day, just so happened to have a small scratch on his index finger. Uh-oh. They noticed that Hans was completely transfixed and was staring at the wound, occasionally veering his eyes to make it look like he wasn't staring at So the three huddled in the corner and decided to talk about a few things. Dr. Gregory wanted to try a little experiment, so he took out his little knife and cut open the wound to cause it to bleed. Mm -hmm. Dr. Gregory said this happened next. I approached him and I put my finger between Dr. Karpus, who's on his left side, and Father Schmidt's back was turned to me, and I suddenly put my finger with the drop of blood on it in front of his eyes. He immediately became flushed, his face became red, and his eyes dilated. His pupils became very large. <laughs> After that, Hans leapt from his chair and grabbed the doctor's finger, trying to pull <laughs> it into his mouth. <laughs> And Hans yelled, the blood, the blood. A drop of blood eventually reached Hans' lips, which he licked up with his tongue and said, Alles Blut ist mein. <laughs> which means all blood belongs to me. <laughs> He's the blood god. Like, how psychotic do you have to be to be like a trying to suck someone's thumb when he got blood on it and at first i thought this was for publicity or like you know yeah. to try and make himself look like a looty tune but i don't know well here's the thing he did it all throughout his childhood so it's like <sighs> is he making it up we'll talk about him claiming he's just 
pretending later on, but... He loves blood. I think he just straight up loved... Like, we've talked about serial killers. Some of them just straight up fucking love blood. They love it. Yeah, it's so weird. I hate it. Now, when the trial for the murder of Anna Mueller started on January 19th, 1914... Father Hans Schmidt and his team, as mentioned, were trying to get the plea for insanity to stick. And you'd assume with Hans' aberrant behavior, his long history of mental illness, the sheer brutality of the murder, and after the fact, for this time period, most people honestly could not even imagine a priest being capable of hurting anybody Mm -hmm. unless they were actually fucking insane. (laughs) So, you'd think this could possibly work, but... As we will soon find out, there are going to be a few roadblocks stopping that from happening. (laughs) The first was the prosecutor named Charles Whitman. Mm. Now, you're probably thinking, well, he's the prosecutor. Isn't that kind of his job? Well, for Charles Whitman, this trial meant so much more. Whitman had already gained popularity for winning several high-profile cases. Oh, no. And now he had, as I said, on becoming the next governor. Oh, no. We got a political sharpshooter here. Uh-huh. Man, they I, we're not going to really talk about it too deeply, but this man executed so many fucking people. Really? Like he got... They had so many mafia people and Italians. He was just killing them left and right. In New York. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. Whitman couldn't simply just get a guilty verdict. He needed to get that death penalty on top of that to seal his bid for governor. Uh, I hate when politics play yeah. into it. That's why I'm just like, I, I don't know if I believe Hans Schmidt, but... He didn't fucking, have a fair trial. I was going to say, the cards are fucking stacked against <laughs> yeah. him. The second crucial piece of evidence that is was going to be damning for Hans Schmidt would be the $5,000 life insurance policy he had tried to take out on Anna. Not going to work. Uh, the interesting part about the story is that it comes from the lips of a woman named Bertha Zeck. Now, the really, I think, shitty thing is Whitman snuck her in as a witness without allowing the defense to know prior and the judge let them do it. That's not right. No, you're supposed to be able to, like, know and interview them. Whit- the judge fucking let Whitman stick her right in there. Yeah, you have, to- you have time to gather evidence yeah. and shit. Judge just said, nope, let- I'll allow it. Unbelievable. <sighs> now, who is Bertha Zeck? Well, she's the secretary for Dr. Ernest, and she fucking hates Hans Schmidt <laughs> with a passion. <laughs> She testified in court that as a favor to Dr. Ernst, she agreed to accompany Father Hans to the Postal Life Insurance Company and claimed that she forged Anna Amelia's signature. From the book's perspective of what happened in the courtroom after her testimony was that it completely took the sales out of any hope of the insanity plea working. Yeah, Most became convinced that because of the insurance... Uh, Life insurance claim is showed immense premeditation. And who the fuck knows if it's even true or not? Because well, this fucking Bertha Zeck, you're just out they, of nowhere. They had the paper, God damn it. but he didn't get approved for the life insurance or anything. So uh, it's just kind of like she signed it and nothing came of that. So. I guess the act of applying was enough for most yeah. to think, well, that's th- it. We know that's a big thing in this time period. Hell yeah. The life insurance fraud, that's a big thing. Ponzi made his fucking <laughs> dinner off of it. He did. 
It was after her testimony that Hans's defense attorney started begging him to switch over to a guilty plea and throw himself at the mercy of the court. Maybe that would at least help him avoid the death penalty. God. But Hans just would not do that. He was confident that the jury was going to find him insane and simply confine him to a mental institution. Which, based on season two of AHS, is not the best place <laughs> to be. No. Well... Maybe for him it might be. I don't know. I guess I don't. Who knows what they were doing? Probably put him in cold water again. Ugh. But when February 3rd, 1914 came around and the jury had settled, the verdict returned with one that was not in the favor of Father Hans Schmidt <laughs> and it was guilty of murder in the first degree. Bitch. After hearing the verdict, Hans immediately burst out in laughter in the eerily quiet courtroom mm. <laughs> how awkward is that <laughs> after this the judge informed hans he would be facing sentencing on february 11th on his way out of the courtroom hans turned to his lawyer and said i'm satisfied with the verdict i would rather <laughs> die today than tomorrow <laughs> jesus when hans returned to court for sentencing on february 11th the judge would sentence him to solitary confinement at Sing Sing Prison until March 23rd, 1914, on which he will be put to death via the electric chair. Old Sparky. Hell yeah. Is that, did they call it that in New York or was that like Alabama or Georgia? I'm not sure. It's I'm one sure. of them. We'll call it Old Sparky because it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> but Hans didn't seem bothered in the slightest. He just shook hands with everyone and accepted his fate. Yeah. On his way out of the courtroom, he handed a reporter a little piece of paper that had a short verse written on it that went, Beyond this veil of tears, there is life above, unmeasured by the flight of years, and all that life is love. Ah, uh, why Why did he write that down? You butchered a woman. You <laughs> I know. You fucking it's like, freak okay, He, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about him at the end here. During Hans's time at Sing Sing, as well as while he was in the tombs, most of those who visited him noticed a few peculiar things he would do. Firstly, Hans would always complain that he could not breathe or that the prison lacked oxygen. Same thing he was doing when he was trying to climb the trees as a kid. Right. He thought the air was going to be better up there. Secondly, he was always complaining about it being cold. Thirdly, he was always complaining about how shitty the food was. Well, it's prison. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And lastly, he chain-smoked cigarettes. That's not really that out of the question. And when so, you're stressed out and your death is uh, is now a date on the calendar instead of just unknown like it is for most of us, so you're going to be chain-smoking, I imagine. I, I guess at Sing Sing, in this time period, prisoner they would give prisoners cigarettes, right? Sure. But they had to ask the guard to light it for them. Ooh. So they could have the cigarettes and then they had to call the guard over to light it for them. Light? So. But could they monkey fuck them? What do you mean? What's monkey or fuck What is it called? Oh, like back to back? Yeah. I'm sure they could. Yeah. It's just if you wanted the initial light, you had to ask the guard to sure. walk over. And I'm sure the guards weren't that nice. Yeah, I'm sure they would do it <laughs> if they were having a good day. Otherwise, yeah. they'd tell you to go eat a bag. Now, the defense team started to desperately try to get Hans's death sentence commuted. He probably wasn't going to get out of prison, but perhaps they could at least get his life spared. Outside of the little things that every lawyer does to try to get a new trial, Hans decided that initial confession, that was just bullshit, and he actually now wanted to tell the truth 
of what had actually happened. <sighs> no one's gonna believe that, Hans. Yeah. You gotta you gotta lead with that shit, bro. <laughs> Hans was now trying to claim that Anna had died as a result of a failed abortion. Oh. Hans said I am innocent of said crime, and my previous statements that I caused death by cutting her throat is untrue, as she died as a result of a so-called criminal operation on Labor Day, September 1st, 1913. I am not now, nor was I ever insane. And Hans was claiming that Anna agreed to the abortion simply because she did not want to put his priesthood at risk. Mm-hmm. Kind of bullshit. Mm, yes. The entire reason that Hans made up the story about drinking the, her blood and all of that was simply to make himself look insane. Sure. All while protecting his companions who had assisted him in the abortion. Dr. Ernest, Bertha Zeck, and some mysterious Dr. Leo. We don't know who the fuck that is. Now he's snitching on, <laughs> yeah. on fake things. <laughs> Hans claimed that Anna started bleeding profusely during the abortion and died, and Hans decided to take the blame, covering the asses for all those involved. Of course. Now, the only problem with having the courts take that confession seriously is that it relied on having Dr. Ernest and or Bertha Zeck sign affidavits agreeing that they were involved with the murder, and that shit is not going to happen. Yeah. Hey, will you sign this piece of paper that says you killed this lady? No. I actually think Dr. Ernst, if I remember correctly, had moved away and he was now in jail for some other fraud. Wow. So, yeah. The dentist got his, I guess. Good. <clears throat> appeal after appeal continued to fail and it was getting closer and closer to Hans Schmidt facing old Sparky. Hell yeah. Their last ditch effort would be to ask the governor for a pardon. Ironically, they would have to ask now Governor Charles Whitman. Ah, he won. He won. I, doesn't that seem like, uh, what do they call that? Like a... Uh, a fucking, uh, uh, a fucking uh, uh, conflict like, of interest? Yeah, yes. like he put him away, yes. and now he has to ask him for forgiveness. <laughs> uh, he would give Hans an additional month, hmm. setting his new exec- execution date for February 14th, 1915. Valentine's Day. <laughs> Is, Is it? it? I, don't, I, don't I don't remember. A full year after his initial sentencing when the execution date was upon them, Father Hans gave one gave the press one more statement. I charge bad faith on the part of nobody. This is only a weakness of the judicial system, <laughs> as there is a weakness of human nature. But I happen to be the victims this time, and I hope and pray that time will prove every one of my contentions, and that my judicial murder will help to abolish executions for not one-third of the men who have been in the death chamber with me, including Becker. We were guilty of murder. Yeah, Becker's one of the big profile cases that um, Whitman put away, and Hans got to meet him. On death row. Ah. So so the book covers a lot of Hans communicating with, like, a Other. lot of the people that Whitman put away. Sure. There's a lot of Italians he put away. A lot of them. No doubt. So. No doubt. That city had a little problem with not liking Itals. Yeah. Oof. They killed all- I think in the book they said they fucking fried three of them in one day. They like, kill one, get them out of there, kill another, get them out of there, kill another one, get them out of there. Fucked up. You can't do that. Nope. <sighs> okay. Around 5 p.m. the night prior to the execution, Father Hans had a mass with the prison chaplain. Around 7 p.m., Hans would be fitted with his final outfit and have his head shaved. 
Then came the decision for Hans's last meal. Hans had what I would assume is a nice little German meal, which consisted of sauerbraten, string beans, mashed potatoes, cheesecake, and coffee. Wonderful. Do you know what sauerbraten is? Uh, I assume it's some kind of sausage with sauerkraut. See, I thought it was a um, a uh, kind of so- like a kind of bratwurst or something, right? Apparently, it's like a hamburger almost. Oh, because we'll find out. He gives he gives one of his cellmates some of it, and he thinks it's a hamburger. Oh, is it made with pork still or no? I I don't know. I oh, should yeah. have. I should have. No, you shouldn't have. Nobody <laughs> eats a sour brat. Do you no. know who would know what that is? Yes. Fucking Jordan. Our God dearly departed, you. yeah. After dinner, a prison guard said this about Hans's demeanor. His last night on earth, he spent alternatively raving and protesting his innocence and declaring that he had made <laughs> his peace with God. <laughs> Hans gifted the prisoner uh, next to his prison cell with his pillow and some, as I mentioned, his sour broughton. Mm. Around 5.50 a.m. the following morning, it was time for Hans to face the electric chair. The guard said, Hans, it's time to go. Hans told him, Don't worry, I'm a punctual man. <laughs> I love that. Hans chain-smoked his entire way to the death chamber. So did Marcel Pichot. Did he? Just yep. chain-smoking. Yep. Before he sat down, he pulled out his crucifix, lifted it to the sky, and prayed. His final words would be, my last word is to say goodbye to my dear old mother. Yeah, that's sweet of him. At 552, 1700 volts of current charged through Hans's body for one minute and 12 seconds, causing his body to violently jerk and turn red. Smoke was rising from the top of his head. When the prison physician took the stethoscope to Hans's chest, he soon realized Hans was still alive. Oh, that's awful. That's fucking torture. Yeah. So a second and third jolt were administered. Uh, This time, Hans Schmidt was officially dead. Holy shit. How do you you survive that for a minute and 12 seconds? Jesus Christ. The prison chaplain would have to claim Hans Schmidt's body on behalf of his mother, Gertrude. Because they could not ship his body to Germany... They buried him somewhere in New York and have forever kept his lo- the location of it a secret. Mm. So we don't know where he's buried in an unmarked grave somewhere, apparently. Boy, it seems like if you survive the first one, they should they untie you, you. Yeah. He's just like Marv from fucking, uh, the hell's the name of this? Sin City. Uh-huh. Maybe they uh-huh. shocked him twice. Uh-huh. Okay, what do you what do you think? What do you do you think he was insane? Do you think he did it to get rid of Anna? What do you what are you thinking? I think he was a deeply troubled mm-hmm. gay man. Mm-hmm. Deeply, deeply troubled, and I do think he had something with blood. I think he had some sort of fetish Obsess- that made him need blood. Obsession with it. Mm. It's weird. the de- The dentist doesn't like. He admits they had a relationship, but he doesn't say like he bit me or like he cut me or anything like that. Also, because of the time, do you think mm. maybe he wouldn't say yeah. that even if it did happen? He was already probably. embarrassed yeah, enough they, that... Yeah, they, they probably didn't like homosexuals very much, oh. so... Not to, and he was a counterfeiter. Mm. I wonder if they ever punished that dentist for being a counterfeiter, <laughs> since he had burned <laughs> up notes and plates and if, shit. I, if I remember right, he, he left after the trial and everything and then got arrested for some sort of fraud shit. God damn. Uh, not related to dentistry somewhere else. Probably just trying to set up yeah. and set up another grift somewhere, <laughs> you know? So what do you think? We got a priest, uh, I'm assuming mentally ill man who's obsessed with blood, 
who marries himself to a woman, yeah. who then has a sexual relationship Secretly with a dentist. Secretly marries himself to a yes. woman, secretly. And then has a sexual relationship with a dentist, who is also his counterfeiting partner. Uh, yeah. Wow, what the hell? I think it got messy. And <laughs> yeah. I think Father Hans Schmidt's good, semi-good looks got him, uh, got him into these situations. Mm, and his persuasiveness, not to mention. He is a handsome young man. Um, so... I guess the. Do you think there's a connection between the little girl and Anna? The only no. connection I can see is like the. He tried to dissect the bodies, but. I don't think it was him. I I think the janitor was a molester. Yeah, and, I think it was. Yeah. I think it was definitely the janitor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And he put like, I I wouldn't see Han Schmidt based on his blood and water mixture drink. I wouldn't see him pussing out on cutting up a body. No, he he went right for it. Yeah. And, right. And then for had it. sex with it. So there was a big thing about in the book where he was like, uh, after he killed her and did all that shit, he just stared out the window and was like thinking into him, thinking to himself how crazy it is that he just did that and people are just walking by, not even realizing uh, what's going on. That's madness, man. That's madness. Yeah. That also reminds me of the goddamn Dahmer when he gets out, when his victim gets out and the police Mm -hmm. bring him back. Mm -hmm. It's like that's just happening while everybody's milling about. I mean, we could have drove by a house where someone was being killed and we wouldn't know. Possibly your neighbor. Possibly right now. Yeah. You'd never know. No idea. fucking know. No idea. uh, but we're sorry, Anna, you didn't deserve that. You sound like a sweet, sweet young lady who just got involved with uh, a psycho. this psycho piece of shit who she probably didn't know was a psycho piece of shit. Thought he was a nice priest. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like he behaved himself for about five years. You trust priests. Isn't then, that what it said? At this time, you yeah. trust fucking priests. I mean, I bet you could maybe even ask your older family members if they think a priest could kill somebody. Mm. I mean, they didn't even know they were molesting him until, like, what, 15 years ago? Mm. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, that wouldn't hold up here because all my family's Luther. Mm. Luther Martin Luther. <laughs> They're allowed to get married and stuff. So. They don't uh, They don't cotton too much to the priesthood. <laughs> no, Lutherans are pretty sweet. Yeah, they get it done. Catholic white. Sweet. Yeah. They're pretty not sweet. Not a lot of standing, not a lot of... Mostly no. just sitting. Just give us... Uh, do they take bread? I don't know. No, I don't think they take communion. And they just pray and get mm. out of there mm. and... I like think communion's pretty Catholic. Okay. Ooh, potlucks, yeah. I feel like it's a very Lutheran thing. Definitely. Unfortunately, we can, you shouldn't really be having them right now. No. Uh, don't be spreading corona anywhere, please. No, but a nice Lutheran fish fry. Once yeah. once the world gets back to normal, I'll go to one of them. <laughs> Next November. Next That's November. Yeah. One year from now, we're going to be back to normal, maybe. Who knows if I'll be alive by then. Yeah, I, I have a feeling you'll be here. Me too, unfortunately. No, very fortunately. <laughs> Thank you very much, Cody. This episode, fantastic. I like this series a whole lot. Father uh, Hans yeah. Schmidt, nobody's ever fucking heard of him. No, I've, I mean, I got a few comments on our posts. Like, some people have heard of him, but nobody's ever, like, did this extensive of coverage of him. I so. saw somebody say, finally, the coverage mm. Hans Schmidt deserves, so that's good. If the, if I'm assuming a lot of other podcasters don't Google pre-serial killers, so that's the thing, man. <laughs> Everyone wants to do all these basic bitch things. That mm. If they just did a few little bit of Googling, they would find a, a whole world of cases. I, uh, you've said you've done it. I've done it. Didn't what, that one time you searched like fast food kills or something? That's right. That's how I got Burger, he, yeah, Chef, he, Burger Chef Murder. 
Just give a Google. You'll find some wild shit sometimes. Animal serial killer. Mm. That's how I found Ghost in the Darkness. <laughs> the Sabo yeah. Lions. Hell yeah. Uh, fantastic. If you liked it, tell us about it on the website. Uh, it would be great if you would. Just leave us a little message. If you like it even more, you can hit the follow button on Spotify. That would be fantastic. And if you want to let our penises grow, you go to <laughs> iTunes, Bumblebutt Podcast. Leave us a five-star written review. Yes. That would be really fantastic of you. And also, if you wouldn't mind, Go on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. Sign up on any level. Like I said, $15 and up, the Bowling for Satan tier gets you these dope-ass Pokemon cards that are getting that are being made. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. And if you want to be a real hero, again, I've already said that three times now, but if you want to be a true superhero, you go to bumblebuttpodcast.com slash merch, buy yourself a shirt. Uh... It, also, follow us on Instagram, <laughs> Instagram.com slash Podcast, Twitter at BumblebuttPod, and Twitch.tv slash BumbleAdam for the time yeah. being. We will change that to BumblebuttPodcast as soon as the time limit runs out, and it lets us change our username again. What is the time limit? I think a month. I think the last time I looked, it was three weeks, so we probably got about two weeks left. All right. Hell yeah. Uh, other than that, Jesus Christ, I think that's all we yeah. can do. Tune yeah. in. This Wednesday, another brand new Between the Bumbles with Patreon Jess. It's going to be fantastic. It's great. I great. love it. Very funny. If you like Katie's, you'll like this one too. Hell yeah. So give that a tune and do all the other stuff. And that is going to do it for all of us here at the Bubble Bubble Podcast. My name has been Adam. That's been Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. And thank you, everyone. And have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs>